Well, I wanted to say happy anniversary to you, married or not married. This is actually your three-year anniversary, whether you knew it or not. It's, it's our church three-year anniversary. September 11th, 2011, we started as a community, and some of you were there on a Sunday night. Any, any of you here tonight that were there, September 11th, 2011? Some of you, wow, thank you, thank you. Thank you for sticking it out. You're either happy or just love endurance, whatever. Um, but, but we started three years ago, and we had no idea where this was going to lead. We just gathered people on a Sunday night and say, hey, we're going to pray once a month. We believe that God is leading us to start a new community in this part of the city. And if you want to be a part of that, just come. And, and on September 11, if you were here, it was very clear. We don't know where we're going to start. We don't know where we're going to meet. We don't know anything. Welcome. You know, that was our, our big pitch. And what we did ask is, would everyone please pray? Because where you gather is important. And what part of the city, it makes a difference. So, so we invited you to pray. Do you know, those of you who are here, within one month, God answered that prayer. Within one month, I ended up meeting a friend who was one of the leaders in a church I was meeting here on a Sunday morning and walked into that side, if you came in from this side, that side door and thought, wow, what a great place. And then walked into this room and thought, this is amazing. And by the time I left this building, the leaders in that church who had just planted here as well, they're like, hey man, if you need it for anything, um, just let us know. Like, yes. Can we use it next month? They'll go, well, you know. Yeah. And so by December, we started meeting here once a month. And then by March of 2012, we started meeting here once a week. And Easter of 2012, we launched full-on weekly. And it is amazing what God will do when you don't know what to do, but you're willing to pursue Him. And so this has been an exciting adventure. We met here Sunday night, to so those of you who've been around for a couple of years, but we wanted to start a Sunday morning gathering and we didn't know what to do. Like, you notice the trend? So we just prayed and asked God and then someone through a friend of a friend said, hey, why don't you check it out with Liberty High School? And I'm like, no, it's not gonna work. I got rejected when I, I wanted us to meet at Liberty High School when we started, but I got a no from the principal and administration. So I'm like, no. Nah. And like, why don't you just check again? I'm like, nah. Like, why don't you just check again? I'm like, you know, all right, I'll go do it. And I went in and said, hey, could, could we meet here on Sunday? Yeah, no problem. I'm like, what? And so God took us away from here and brought us to liberty. Now, we had no idea the implications and that it would be like the people of Israel going through the desert. Because remember, those of you who are at liberty, you can't bring anything in. So like we went from this like, oh, this place is incredible. And then we went to Liberty High School. And you can't eat and you can't drink. And if you're mean, they throw you out. Not really. But, you know, like we, we didn't know what it was going to look like. And so we were in this season like, okay, God, we, we know you brought us to Liberty for a short time. Where are you going to take us? Because we've all the while been looking for another place to rent or lease or if it was super, super cheap like really cheap, buy or whatever. And those doors kept closing. And then out of the blue, once again, just praying and seeking, God provided the opportunity for us to come back. And so here we are the first week back. And many of you have a beverage and you're smiling and you're happy. And this is incredible. And we're trying to figure out why. God, why would you bring us to this place in the first place? Why would you bring us to liberty? Why would you bring us back? What are you doing so we committed as a leadership team every September, every September, to stop and just give thanks, to look back at what God has done, and then prayerfully look forward to what God might want to do in the coming year. If you have kids, you know your year is not January, December. What's your year? September through, the, you know, through June. The school year is usually most people's year. So we have a vision series that we're doing for the next couple of weeks 
to think about what does it mean for things to happen on earth as it is in heaven. It's a bit of a, uh, like a, a verse that we hold on to dearly. Remember the prayer from Jesus, Matthew 6. He's, he, he teaches his disciples to pray, Father in heaven, hallowed, respectful, great is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. He teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I believe that's how we started. That is in our DNA. We don't know what to do often. We're not afraid to say it. But we pray, God, your kingdom come. Your purposes happen. Your will be done here as you already want it to be in your space where you dwell. God, the way things should be, will, will they come and happen here and now? And so this series is about reorienting our minds to what we believe God might be doing. So our unique stories are different, like your story, your family story, how you got here is different. But we believe that there's a common thread. And if, if sunset, if this decides to be uh, for you the place where you choose to plug in and grow and invest, we want to think about as a whole, what is God saying for us? And so we got a phrase. I leaked it out a couple of weeks ago if you're here at the end of the Mark series. But we want to think about it. I'm going to drive it home for the next three weeks. We believe as a leadership team that our calling and our mission is to help people experience life in Jesus. And if you don't write anything down tonight, write that down. Because this isn't something that just came out of the sky. But here's how it came. Uh, as elders and leaders, we got together in January, beginning of the fiscal year, and began to pray about, God, what do you want for our community? What does it mean to be a part of Sunset, a Jesus church? Like, what does it really mean to be a part of something? And we're trying to grasp, on earth as it is in heaven, yeah, that's the prayer, but like, in one sense, it lacks a bit of teeth. Like, how, how do we see that happen? And so we spent a couple of days just praying, looking at Scripture, and talking, and trying to discern what would be so simple for everyone to know, but so meaningful for everyone to invest their life in. And so we, we came up with this. And it's not in the Bible, so it's not holy. It's not perfect. But we think it might be helpful when you think about what it means for you to be a part of this community. By implication, I'm suggesting this, that your calling as a Jesus follower is to help people experience life in Jesus. I'm going that bold. Forgive me. Like, I don't even know you well. But I'm saying that if you say that this is my body, this is, this is my church, this is, this is where I live out my following to Jesus, that, that part of, by implication, part of your calling is to help people experience life in Jesus. So what we want to do is just for the next three weeks, tease that out. And tonight we're just going to look at two words. Uh, the two words, help people. Now, in order to do that, we're going to go to the Scriptures. Duh because I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know the Bible is true. So Luke 10, this is where we're going to find ourselves in verse 25. Luke 10, 25, and why don't you go there? And we're thinking about helping people. What does it mean to help people? According to Jesus, he tells us exactly what that means. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's not miss the obvious here. Luke's telling us. An expert in the law stood up to do what? Test Jesus. This is already a trick question. So something's off from the beginning. We need to know that. And the question he asked is weird. What must I do to inherit? Now, you know how an inheritance happens. Someone has something, 
And when they die or whatever age or time they choose to give it away, so it's kind of an oxymoron question. What do I got to do to inherit? Inheritance by its very nature is a gift. So he's asking, what do I need to do to get a gift? Now, as I read this as a kid, I always thought, was he asking, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do I get to heaven? How do I not go to hell? How do I be born again? And actually, that's not what he's asking here. If that's what you've thought, it's not wrong, but it's, it's actually not precise. Um, what he's asking for is what every Jew would ask for. Uh, Jews believed, those who followed Yahweh, those who followed the Torah, the scriptures, they believed at the end of time, God would judge all things. And there'd be a resurrection at the end. And even though this life is hard and sometimes it's unfair, at the end, the righteous judge, God himself, would raise his people to life and give rewards. So if you're faithful here, you will be rewarded in the age, in the life to come. And so what he's actually asking is a really important question. He's saying, although he's got a, he's got a hidden agenda, he's, he's asking, what do I need to do when the righteous rise? What do I need to do to be in a position where I gain life. In the future, when, when there's a blessing, how do I know that I got God's blessing? So he asked the question, and Jesus doesn't answer. I love Jesus. He doesn't step into his question. Instead, he asked him another question. Look at verse 26. What is written in the law? So he doesn't go into the whole, what do you need to do? He just asked, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Because he's an expert in the law. Verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So of all that's written in the first five books, um, which were the primary books of the Bible in their day, they read the prophets, they read the wisdom literature, but the first five books of Moses were huge. Of all that's written in Genesis all the way to Deuteronomy, which is hundreds and hundreds of pages, the guy gets it right. The greatest thing that you can do, how do you read it, is love God first and primary. But not just love God. In order to really love God, you got to do something with the people around you. Because if you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you find that most of it is not about God. It's actually how to live with other people. Most of the laws that God gives, most of what God says is how to live in harmony because we're messed up, right? We have attitude problems. We're off. So God shows us how to live with one another. Love God and love your neighbor. And the guy gets it right. So he's no fool. He knows the Bible. And so verse 28, you answered correctly. Jesus replied, hey, simple. Do this and you'll live. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Out of your love for God, love your neighbor. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 29, he, re he wanted to justify himself. So it's not enough. And so he asked Jesus, okay, and who is my neighbor? Now, we're, tonight we're talking about what does it mean to help people? So sometimes, and it's very true, you can know the right answers to the questions and still be wrong. Have you found it to be the case? Some of you, you may know what the Bible says about what to do with your life. Does that mean you're actually doing it? No, the answer is no. You can know the answers to the questions. You can be very smart and be foolish. Some of the most intelligent people can do the most foolish things. Have you found that to be true? So just because you know the answer doesn't mean you're living in line with it. And that's exactly where this guy is because he wants to justify himself. So it's not enough to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength and love your neighbor as yourself. No, 
Who is my neighbor? And what he's asking is an interesting question because it was a real question in their day. Now, I'm going to nerd out for a couple of minutes just because you enjoy that on Sunday night and you had jelly beans, sugar high, you're feeling good, right? What does it mean to be a neighbor? So somebody said, well, is that the guy in my neighborhood cul-de-sac? Is it Beaverton? Is it Hillsborough? Is it Oregonian? Is it American? Who is my neighbor? In their day, it was a real question because there were some writings from a very influential teacher, a rabbi. And in his writings, about 200 years before Jesus, he answers the question of what it means to be a neighbor. It's called The Wisdom of Sirach, and it was written by this guy 200 years before Jesus, and it's like the book of Proverbs. It's full of practical wisdom. And when they had, when you're studying in the first century, you had the book of the law, you had God's book, but you also had with it the wise sayings of the teachers. So just like we read study Bibles or commentaries, they had them too. And so the wisdom of Sirach defined what a neighbor is. And I'm going to throw it on. This isn't Bible, but at the time of Jesus, this would have been read as wise. Look at, let's look at Sirach uh, 12, 1 through 4. It says, If you do good, know to whom you do it, and you will be thanked for your good deeds. So do good and know the person. That's great. Do good to the devout, and you will be repaid. So who do you do good to? The devout. And if not by them, certainly by the Most High. No good comes to the one who persists in evil or to the one who does not give alms. And this is the clincher. Give to the devout, but do not help the who? The sinner. So, now I, I can't prove that this teacher expert of the law is quoting this, but it was a major thought at the time. So many, not all, but many Jews believe that to love my neighbor was to love Jews. To love the devout, to love the God-fearing. So all I'm responsible, now I'm getting to the point of who we're supposed to help. What does it mean to help people experience life in Jesus? But before we do that, we need to think about in their day, most, if they were sitting here, would say, my responsibility is to my fellow God-fearing Jew. I am responsible for you like family. You belong to God, therefore you belong to me. Now those outside non-Jews or unfaithful Jews, rebellious Jews, I am not responsible for them. So I'm supposed to devote myself to the people of God and be faithful to the family of God. But if you're outside of God's family, look, you're in trouble. And I'm not responsible to help you. Now what Jesus is going to say is radical for his day and contrary to this very wise rabbi who would have been read by most people in his day. So in response, Jesus tells a story. Verse 30, it's so famous, but let's read it with fresh eyes. In reply, Jesus said, and he gives a story, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 12, 13 plus miles, high elevation, Jerusalem, down towards Jericho. You worship in temple. People know the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's the place you'd have to, when you leave worship, you go back down to the valley and you go, to, you go home. And it happens to be a very dangerous road. It's windy, there's lots of caves, and people hide and can jump you if you're not careful. So you had to be careful on that road. So a man goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, so everyone gets that because it's a dangerous place. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. What does it mean to be half dead? I have no idea. Like, how are you half dead? Evidently, you're almost dead, but not fully dead. Half dead. 
a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So a priest is like representative of God to people. So this is who's probably the most holy person. It would be a priest. The most holy person would be the high priest. So a priest is a stand-up guy. Jesus tells the story. A guy is going down the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Could have been worshiping. Probably a Jew. He's robbed, left for dead. Priest doesn't stop. Why does the priest not stop? Well, there's all sorts of like theories. Um, a, a, a priest could not touch a dead thing, let alone a dead person. It would make him unclean, unfit to serve in the temple. So maybe because he thinks he could be dead, he can't touch him. He'd have to go back up to Jerusalem, offer sacrifices. Well, here's the point. Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't give an out clause. Jesus doesn't give any reason why the priest should not stop. So that's what we need to know is just the priest walks by, doesn't do anything about it. Verse 32, so to a Levite, who's like an assistant priest, priest had to be born into the family. The Levites help in the temple. They help with the order. They help with all the animal sacrifices. They partner with the priest. And he goes by. He went, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Why doesn't the Levite, a Levite stop? Is it because he didn't see the priest? Is it because if he touched a dead person, he has to go back, offer time? The point is, Jesus doesn't tell us why. He just says he doesn't stop. But verse 33, what Jesus should say here, just to let you know, this is the way it plays out. Priest is highest, Levites under him, and then a faithful Jew would be right under them. What Jesus should have said here is, priest walks by, doesn't do anything. Levite walks by, doesn't do anything. But a faithful, devout Jew walked by, stops, and helps him. And Jesus should have said, by implication, if you are, because remember the question was, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to get reward? What Jesus should have said is, be a faithful Jew. And, and even if the priest doesn't stop, even if the Levite doesn't stop, you don't have to be a priest, you don't have to be a Levite. Just be faithful to love your neighbor as yourself because Jews help Jews. That's what, that's what they're expecting. Priest doesn't, Levite doesn't, but a faithful Jew does it. So it kind of elevates the common man and Jesus shocks everybody by saying there is an Al-Qaeda agent who just left northern Iraq and he becomes the hero of the story. What Jesus is doing, we don't get Jews and Samaritans, but there's such animosity between these people that he doesn't want to even speak the name Samaritan, let alone he is the hero and the priest and the Levite are the bad guys and Jesus is shocking on purpose because he has a point about what it means to help people that we'll get to in a minute. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went, uh, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put, on his own don put him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return... I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, punchline. Which of these three do you think, speaking to the expert in the law, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? Now, he's given the guy no choice but to see an evil. Think ISIS. Think, think Al-Qaeda. Think of the biggest enemy 
of the Jews, so to speak. And it may not have had that much of a heated tone. Maybe I'm overplaying it, but I need to be shocking because nowhere in the Jewish community would anyone see a Samaritan as a God-fearing, upstanding person who at the end of the age would be rewarded by God. They saw the Samaritans as people who didn't know the scriptures, worship God in the wrong way, and would be judged. So if they weren't the enemy, there were at least half an enemy because they were half off. So what do you do? Jesus says, the guy that's going to get the reward is the guy that you look down on. Shocking. And so who do you think? Now, how do I know this animosity? Look at verse 37. The expert in the law replied, the Samaritan. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No. Who does it say? The one who had mercy on him. He can't even say the guy's name. He can't even admit that in the story, it's the Samaritan. That's how off he is. You see, he didn't understand the heart of God when it comes to helping people. So Jesus wants to teach him and teach us what it means. So at the end, he tells him, go and do likewise. Don't do like what you think is right. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But limiting that love to a few people. He blows his mind on the call for God's people to love people. What does it mean for us to love people? What does it mean for us to help people? Jesus blows open the, the, the barriers and takes a guy who has nothing in common. Why should the Samaritan stop? He is, he's not a Jew. The guy on the road is a Jew. So he's not even from the same ethnic background. As a matter of fact, the guy who's half dead probably doesn't like him. But he stops and he cares for him and he loves him and he shows compassion on him and he has mercy on him. And he's like, the guy who has that in his heart is the one who will be rewarded at the end of time. So it is not a matter of being Jew or Samaritan. It is not a matter of being Levite or priest or title. It's not a matter of knowing the right to do. It is the person who does what is right out of compassion and mercy in their heart is the one who will be re rewarded at the end of time. Now, this is just not what anyone is expecting. So for us, let's just bring this home. What does it mean to help people? What does it mean for you and me to help people experience life in Jesus? What it means is we need to go beyond what we think we're supposed to do and, and live for the, you know, the, for the jot and the tittle. For the, you know, if I just do this and do that and don't do this and do this, don't do that, I'm going to skate by and be all right. There's something wrong with the guy in his heart because he comes and he tries to trick Jesus. And then when Jesus gives him a good answer to his response, he wants to impress him. So we got to move beyond the form. And the, Samarit and, and, and the expert in the law just wants to look good in public. But Jesus sees there's something wrong on the inside. And so he elevates the guy who does what's right from the inside. His attitude, the Samaritan in the story, his attitude is right. So helping people has got to start with, within. Look back at verse 33 for just a, a minute. I want you to see this. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came to man, where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. So something happened within that caused him to do something that was dangerous. If the Samaritan stops 
and he's got a donkey, and he's got a wine and oil and money. He is putting himself in harm's way for the good of someone who he doesn't know, he has no connection to, that everyone else is passing by. But what is it that made him take this risk that Jesus commends him? It is inside he saw this person, and he, he had pity on him. He connected with him, and then he goes out of his way and over the top to make sure that this man is cared for. What would it look like for us to be a people who live like the neighbor? You see, it's not a matter of who is my neighbor. Like, who are you supposed to help? Who am I supposed to help? And hey, this year, it's vision series. What are you supposed to do? Find your place. Do your job. Earn your brownie points. You know, that is not the point. It's not about doing more. It is about internally be, being reoriented to the heart of God. And when on the inside you're reoriented to the heart of God, then God will make you neighborly. You see the difference? The guy wants to know, who am I supposed to help? Who can I avoid? And Jesus is like, you missed it. It is about the person who is a neighbor in his heart, who sees other people as someone that is like family, someone they should love and care for. If we see people that way, then at the end of the age, there's great reward. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a community that doesn't just live for Sunday night coffee and snacks. I, I want to be a part of something bigger. I want to be a part of something that is life-changing. I know we all do. That's why we're here. And we want to see God's kingdom come as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is that going to take? What is it going to require of us so that we will be set up to help people? Because this thing is not about buildings. God brought us to this building and brought us to liberty and brought us back. And will we be here forever? I have no idea. Where will we be five years, ago, five years from now? I have no idea. Will we stay night and morning or will we add more? I, all of those things I am not worried about. The greater concern is, are we being changed on the inside to live more like Jesus? Are we being more like the neighbor? Do I see people more like Jesus sees them? If I am bent that way, I'm gonna set myself up to be used by God this year. And really, that's my prayer for you, that you will put yourself, and I will put myself in a position where I can be most used by God like never before this year, where I can be effective and I can be useful and I can enjoy the life change that happens in me when I see the dots connected and when I see and you see God use me, simple me, in a way that's beyond me, I'm telling you, it is addictive. If you ever put yourself in a position where you're used by God beyond your human ability, it's addictive. You want more of it. And you think God can use even me. Three things I want us to see that are hyper simple, but let's not miss the simple as we think about, and now today's just a setup. I'm not gonna end with a to-do list. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you to pray. That's the warning, that's it. That's your to-do list, pray. But what is this neighbor like? What is the Samaritan like? I think Jesus is calling us to be a people who see. Jesus is calling his people to really see. What does it mean to see? The challenge, I think, with technology is it takes my attention off of human beings and onto a screen. Now, I'm a fan of an iPhone, and I can guarantee you there will be a six in my hand someday soon. Not the bigger one, because it's like, oh, hello. You know, like, I'm, like, I'm not going to do that, but I'm just going to do the normal size one. That's just me. You do your own thing. I won't judge you more than once. But the problem with it 
is now human interaction has changed forever for the bad. Because rather than looking for people, what I'm doing is looking on a screen for people that are not in front of me. Have you found to be the case? You hang out with a bunch of friends and everyone is, hey, talk for a few minutes and everyone goes down. And we're all, we're all living in a world that's not real and it takes my physical eyes off of people. And the challenge with that is in our faith and when it comes to following Jesus, if you want to be used by God, we're going to need to see people. We're going to need to see people for who they are, created in His image, loved, beautiful. And yeah, are people messy? Yeah. And, and do hard times come? Yeah. And are people's stories often gnarly and twisted and full of ups and downs? Yeah, and that's okay. Because that is the human story. But that's where the Samaritan comes in and becomes the person like God. Because he finds the guy half dead. And he actually sees him as half alive. He sees him in a state, but he realizes he can get better. And so he sees the man. And I think so many times I just don't see. You want to be used by God? Ask God to help you see people. To see what's around you. Because often the people that God's going to use you and I to help are already right in front of us. Like, I'm going to help the guy that I don't know yet. Most of the people you're going to serve this year are people you already know. Most of the people you're going to love this year, you already know. Most of the great things God wants to do in your world, it's already there. The guy's walking down a road and an opportunity is right in front of him. And I think that that's the way it works in the Christian life is most of the stuff that you're going to do. God's just going to bring it your way. Will you have eyes to see it? I think the second thing that we see in this guy is, uh, and that Jesus wants to create in us a people who stop. Life is just fast. And it gets faster and faster. And the pressure, especially come September, those of you who have kids, your life is shackled. Because you got the school schedule, and then you got the three sports that they're in schedule, and music schedule, and this schedule, and I want a play date schedule. And, 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 and if you're a student, you already come back, and you got this, you got this, and you got a job, and, 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 and it's September, and so, oh, I think there's freedom next August. I'm planning my vacation. And we need to be a people who, hear this, create space, margin for God to work. You want to be used by God? Ask Him to help you see people. And then and then he wants to create us the ability to stop and, and be interrupted. Are you interruptible? I'm not. <laughs> I got so, you know, click, 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 click. I need God to help me to stop. Because most things God's going to do in your world this year, it's going to be in people that you already know or pass by. And it's going to be in stuff that if we just stopped and listened and helped, who knows what Jesus might do in your world. So we need to learn to stop. And I think the last thing is that Jesus wants to create a people who will help. Now, here's the beauty in this story. And don't miss the obvious. The Samaritan guy had everything to help him. Notice he didn't go to Costco. He didn't have to go to Amazon and click, oh, bandages.com, you know, and have them like overnighted to him. He already had the... the ability to bandage his wounds. He already had the oil. He already had the wine. He already had the transportation. He already knew where the end was. He already had money in his pocket. He had everything he needed right in his hands to help. And everyone else flies by. And this guy, because he was resourced by God, is the hero and the person that we ought to be. Here, here's a mind-blowing revelation. God has already given you everything you need 
to help the people he's going to put in your path. You don't need anything else. You say, well, I got like a minimum wage job. God can work through minimum wage. You say, well, I, I, I'm just a single mom. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a, you need to see yourself. I need to see myself as a child of God who is an agent for the Lord Jesus himself. And I can be neighborly as God brings people my way. So the question is, will we be the people who see and stop and help? And this is radically simple, but the Samaritan is equipped to serve. So bottom line, what is it going to take? I am going to need to simply reorient my world back into the path where Jesus, your name is great, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God has an agenda, and I have an agenda. So as his follower, what the neighbor did, what the Samaritan did, was he put himself in line with God's agenda to save. And everyone else didn't see it, but this guy did. And I think we want to be like that guy. I know I do, and I know you do as well. So how do we do that? I think the question is, what adjustments are we going to need to make to put ourselves in a position to help people experience life in Jesus? What adjustments do I need to make? Because the Samaritan simply made the adjustments. The priest and the Levite did not adjust to the God-given opportunity. So how do I learn to make adjustments? I'm so glad you asked. You're great at asking questions. How do I? It's not to-dos. I could, I could pelt you with, if you do these things, it will work for you. No, it doesn't work that way. You know what we need to do? Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, in heaven, your name is great. You're ruler over all. Your kingdom come, your will be done here and now. And if we will commit to ask God, and this is so simple, but sometimes we miss the obvious. So we have, next week, we do it every year, a week of prayer and fasting, an entire week where Winco will be empty. An entire week, no, it won't. But an entire week, <laughs> no, where you can carve it out to set the agenda for the year. And so starting next Sunday, we're inviting you to consider fasting as much as you can. Could be one meal one day of the whole week. Could be a meal every day. It could be one day that you carve out, you take off from school, you take off from work, and you say, God, from sunset to sunset on the next day, I just want to listen to you. I want to create space. Whether you fast, irrelevant. Put yourself in a position to hear from God. And I am asking that all of us would take the week of seven and pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done through us and that we would get real direction as to what Jesus wants to adjust in our world. Because if you pray this, here's what Jesus more than likely will say. I want to use you, my child, but it's going to require that you stop these things. Because the American dream is the American nightmare and you cannot have it all. You can't have it all. I'm sorry. Downer. You cannot be obsessed with technology and overwork and over-entertain and over, 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 over and have no margin and say, I'm wondering why, God, you're not using me. It's going to require that we see and stop and help and so God, more than likely, is going to first have to clear the deck a bit and say, I love you, my child, and those things are great, and you can do them, and they're awesome, but you can't do those things and also have time for people. And so that, I'm just warning you, if you pray that, that's what God more than likely will say. 
but it's life-giving. My friend, what would it look like if hundreds of us in this community, hundreds of us were seeking God for the good of other people? Because if you're part of this church, we're here to help people experience life in Jesus, and we're inviting you on that story and on that journey, and I want us to do it together this year.